Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Round 24 episode for 2019 of Refs Roundup. It's great to be back in the studio to chat about the weekend's games and what's been happening in the world of refereeing. And a very lovely welcome to my favourite NRL referee, my favourite husband, Gavin Badger. Hey, Case. So, Round 24, gone and dusted the penultimate round of the competition. It's one of my favourite words, penultimate. Uh, uh, yeah, so um, heading into the final round of the competition and, you know, one really big, exciting blockbuster game to come based off some of the events that happened last week and some of the the results out of the, the way some games fell. We seem to say it every year, but it's like you can't write these scripts, but somehow the NRL seems to toss this up every year that there's always one game or a certain event that needs to happen to decide, you know, whether it's the top eight or whether it's the minor premiership or, you know, whatever it might be. It's just the NRL competition has a way of of writing these sorts of scripts. You yeah. wouldn't believe it if it wasn't real. Yeah, there was a couple of years ago where the Cowboys, I think, were waiting for, you know, results to fall their way on a Sunday. So they were sitting yeah, back thinking... Yeah, Penrith or something, yeah, I think you it know, was. Depending on which way the game runs, they could be getting ready for Mad Monday. They could be getting ready to, to prepare for a week of semi-final football and, you know, based on the result of another team. Where this weekend you have, obviously, the Sharks and the Tigers who have the destiny in their own hands, a fate in their own hands and... Two o'clock at Leichhardt. Um, two o'clock at Leichhardt Oval, Sunday afternoon. supposed to be a beautiful day, add sell in, out. Add in the Robbie Farrah drama as well, like around whether he, he can will, or can't play or will play. You know, you know, Paul Gallen retiring and, you know, the Sharks obviously want to send him out, you know, in, in, in the semifinals and not have his last game be at um, Leichhardt Oval, I suppose. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, like I said, it's just those, those scripts that you just can't, can't make them up yourself. Um, for referees, this is a very uh, exciting time of year, challenging and exciting. We had a bit of a talk yesterday as a group around things that we need to make sure that we that we keep doing or, um, you know, need to start doing to make sure that we're, you know, ready to go into semifinals or knowing that the challenges that, that semifinals brings for our sort of squad, and you've been around for a long time and experienced, um, you know, the highs and lows of, of semifinals. So I guess what can you sort of share about, um, you know, what we need to do as a squad? Yeah, well, the, the big thing for us... Um, and, and it's the same for players, is that especially this week where you've got, like we, we, we just spoke about, the Tigers game, which is a semi-final the week before semi-finals. And we've got to be you know, wary of that as well. So we're not going in you know, thinking semi-finals the week before semi-finals because we still have another week to go. But you also have to, you know, you also want to put yourself in the form that if you are lucky enough to be one of those guys selected to officiate in the semi-finals, that you're going in with good form as well. So you're doing everything capable to firstly put yourself in a position to get appointed to the games and then secondly, once you go out there, doing the game justice and, and you know, being at the peak of, of your form, you know, which started back in, in March, yeah, um, you know, so long ago and... and building up until be, you know, in the best, not only physical, but also in your decision-making and, and, and your game understanding. We talk about, and we use this, um, we, we talk about this with young referees as well, um, about not making a play. Yeah. Um, so I guess, do you want to sort of explain what that means when we say, we've still got a round to go, don't make a play? Yeah, so, so what will happen is you'll, you'll find, and you, know, you tend to think it doesn't happen at the level that we no, officiate yeah. now, but um, at different levels of the game where referees will think that they have to do something outstanding to stand out to get a semi-final. Um, I, want one, to do, I want to do something to get noticed for one, semi-finals. One decision or one you know, one piece of movement or communication in you know the last round of a competition isn't going to get you that game. It actually could be to your detriment and because you've gone outside of what you've normally done to try and impress or try and do something outside the ordinary, you actually put yourself at a disadvantage because that's when you're going to do things and, and get things wrong. Mm. So we look at 
you know, what we've done over the course of the season has put us in the position to think that you are a shot at, at, at getting one of those games. So you just continue to do that, but just do it well and just yeah. go out. The big thing for us is, you know, you get we talk about simple, stupid sort of thing, get the decisions right, you know, and that's nine nine tenths of the way there. So if we if we get all those right, we're putting ourselves in a good spot. Yeah, the rest the rest will look after itself. It, it generally does. Yeah. Um, so a few things we want to talk about coming out of round twenty four. And um, one of the first things happened in at half time, leading into half time of the first game of the weekend on Thursday night in the Cowboys and Bulldogs game. Um, and we've spoken a few times about different incidents that happen with shot clocks, whether it's a scrum clock or goal line dropout. And this one was another incident which um, might be confusing depending on you know what you might hear at the ground versus what you might hear or see on on TV. Um, so scrum was being packed just before half time, and the referee called for the clock to stop because one team were bound it. and packed and, and wanted you yeah. know the, the clock stopped. A split second after that, the siren at the ground goes off, and the referee. What does the referee have to do? Well, one, we are not the timekeepers on the field. The referees. There is an official timekeeper. So if the siren goes off, that is the end of the game. So whether time has been off for five minutes or whether time has been off for fractions of a second. If that siren goes, that is the end of the half or the end of the game, and the referee has no control over that. Yep. that, that and that's a, that's a really tough one, tough position for a referee to be in, because the players know you've called. You know you've called time off. Um, and, and in that position as well, when you're at a scrum, so you've got all you, of these players right near you, you and you've got one team who purposely packed in quickly to stop the clock, what sort of challenge does yeah, that throw well, up to well, you as a referee? And, and this one probably presents a little less because it's halftime of the game. So it's it's not the you know the end of, of the game, so the team's not finished, where it's a lot harder if that is the final sign of the game and a team is behind by two, four, six, you know, where they're still in the contest... That's a lot tougher because the players, you know, they, they, they're built to win and competitive and they, all they want to do is win. And so they think in their mind they've been robbed of the opportunity to win the game, even though technically the game is finished. But So that presents challenges because you've got frustration from players. You also are in a situation where as the referee, you know it's no fault to anyone's. It's just what it is. So you've also got to try and keep yourself composed because you know it's coming. So it's a lot of it's about... In those situations, your personality and the way you deal with it, and the, and the words you choose and how you choose to say them, can it comes make a down big to communication. Yeah, it can make a big difference to you know having that confrontation for forty metres as you're walking off the field with the players and captains, or being able to explain that situation and say, well, this is this and this is how it is, and we get off. Which was which happened at the halftime of this game, where the referee sort of explained the fact that. You know, the timekeeper has said that the game stopped once the siren goes, that's the end of it. Mm. And by giving that explanation and taking yourself out of it, which is the situation here, it sort of quelled the players. Yeah. It was half time, so it does make it a little bit easier as well. Yeah. Um, but th th just sorry to jump in, but basing that on a district level as well, like at lower levels of the game, can that, that can create quite a, a problem as well. Because sometimes you can go the opposite where you don't hear sirens and stuff like that and you play an extra tackle and you have the opposite to that where a team may feel they've been aggrieved the other way yeah. by having extra. So it shows how important the timekeeping is. And, and the thing to stress to people out there is that the referees in rugby league, we are not the, the timekeepers. And even at 
um, lower levels of the game, there is a, you know ground managers who control the time and control the clock. The referees don't control it on field, so that's something to know if you're out there and you're aggrieved at a timing issue. It's yep. actually not. To, don't be aggrieved at the referee. It's not the referee's issue. And heading in, I know a lot of a lot of areas have had their junior league grand finals, and a lot of them are, or, or they're coming into them next weekend. Um, and I guess it's something that always gets tossed up at this time of year at junior league levels, as well as people from the sidelines yelling out or players as well saying, "Oh, time off, time off." And every for you know our listeners out there just know that in every district, every area, they actually have different rules similar to we do in the NRL. Um, as to when you can and can't call time off. So one district, it might be it's at the referee's discretion. So if a referee thinks a team is time-wasting or a player's down injured or whatever, they can call time off. Whereas other areas, I know where I came from, it was only if the first aid officer was on the field. So even if a player's down injured and just with the trainer, it wasn't time off. And everywhere has different variations of that. So Yeah, there's just... a lot of competitions will only have... Uh, there'll be no time off in the first half, but only have time off in the second well, half. Yeah, or and... time off only in the last five minutes yeah. or ten minutes and things like that. So, so it's just something to keep keep in mind. Understand that it can be frustrating, um, you know, especially at this end of season when people think they're playing for sheep stations. But um... oh, and, and in yeah, in all of that, it is when it matters. It's, it yeah. matters more in a grand final and stuff like that. You know, similar to any level of the game, you work hard for a, for a season to to achieve the ultimate goal, and you just got to understand that. Yet there's there's frustrations, uh, but you got to make sure that the frustrations aren't uh, you know, uh, overtake the situation. You know, yeah. it's, it's sometimes life's life, and we move on. Um, so we thought we'd also discuss a little rule around time off and the scrum while we were, were talking about that, because there's a little uh, rule in the in the rule book around when the game when time expires and the scrum's being fed. Yeah, so. And this happens to we get in a lot of rules quizzes that we do, and young referees when they first start, we sort of hammer them with some of these rules as well. But the thing is, if the siren has gone and the scrum has not been fed, even though both teams are bound and packed, that that is the end of the game. Yeah. Because there's there's no the ball is not in play. Yep. And if we even take that to the NRL level, if we've bound both both teams are bound and we've said all right, scrum clock off, but the ball's not been fed yet and the siren goes. We call full time. It's full time. It, it, yeah. If the siren goes, which is exactly oh, what happened time. at half time of this game, scrum clock went off yeah. and we called the half. Um, the mitigating factor to that is if the ball had been fed and had not emerged correctly, so you know the ball came out the same tunnel or the scrum broke up, because we now deem that the ball is in play, because it has originally been fed, that scrum then has to be fed. Yeah. So scrum fed, ball comes out, referees, you know, no, nope, hasn't come out right. Siren goes, okay, guys, we have to have this scrum because the ball has been in the scrum. Yep. So it's almost like when we have a penalty kick for touch and the siren goes still, and we still have the free kick. We still come in, they get that tap from 10 metres in field until that you know, that play expires. Yeah, that, um, yeah. so that, that's, the, that's where you differentiate it. Um, if the ball has been in at some stage, it's now in play. So we have to, you know, yep. siren goes off, we have to play. If the ball hasn't been in, it's deemed to be dead as if a player is standing there holding the ball, waiting to play the ball. Yep. Ball's dead, it's not in play. Get game over. Yep. All right, the second incident that I wanted to talk about was out of the Cronulla, the Canberra and Cronulla game, which cracking was... Cracking game of rugby league. cracking game. I think I saw that... So there were three, the three field goals kicked by Caesar. It was the first time that a player had kicked three yeah, field goals. Yeah, five in the game. Three, and three field goals by the same player. I might have made that stat up, but I'm pretty sure they said that. Um, same, yeah, three field goals within within the one game. Yeah. And actually, on a bit of a tangent, when we spoke a few weeks back about um, uh, Golden Point and extra time and all that, 
This um, is your thing, isn't this it? Is, this is my thing where I said that to, to me, the last 10 minutes of the game, so from the 70th to 80th minute, effectively just becomes, if we don't have golden point, it becomes just becomes golden point. And the, yeah, and this game sort of showed that. Where well, I think it was even earlier. It might have been around the 12th minute where the first field goal was kicked, like 12 to go, yeah. where the first field goal was kicked in this game where I think both teams realised it was going to go down the wire and one point's going to make a difference here, which in the end it, it did. Yeah. Um, Although we had five of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the incident that I wanted to talk about was a penalty for a late, tackle late late contact after passing um the penalty was against Cronulla and what we saw was Canberra in an attacking field position they might have been 15 or 20 meters it was inside the 20 out. meters yeah so um, in the red zone. and the ball's passed and Cronulla player might have been Paul Gallen actually not 100% sure I can't remember off the top of my head um tackles a player late has late late contact there's a play the ball then another play the ball which is the end of the which was they then like the ball dead. oh they kick the ball dead yeah. last tackle kick the ball dead and then the referees come back for a penalty and there was the discussion around um the, the referee said well we were playing advantage and how far then the discussion comes well how far can advantage go so we thought we'd have a conversation around how we apply it um both in the NRL level and at, at district level and um you know why we do the things we do yeah and and Probably the first discussion we need to have around advantage is in the rule book it states the advantage is at the discretion of the referee. So not only in this situation because there's other times where people say, um, you know, how far is advantage when there's a knock on and stuff like that. Um, and the rule book there is no stipulation as to exactly what it is. It just says it's at the discretion of the referee. There's a but, massive misconception out there that if the player picks up the ball and passes, they've taken their yeah. advantage because they could be passing under pressure. They could be, you know, a, a multitude of things that could happen as to why they pass that ball. But with that, where it says that um, it's at the sole discretion of the referee, especially at the higher levels of the game, we have a fairly common yes. understanding or parameters that we work around. Yes, it is going to be subjective, but it's not going to be like I'm refereeing and I only let them run one metre and say advantage is over and you let them run 50 metres and pass it 10 times before you say advantage yeah. is over. We yeah. do have parameters well, yeah, and we'll yeah, talk it's, through it's, them. It's, it's, yeah, it's a how long is a piece of string thing, but we um, our piece of string is very similar size at the elite yeah. level because... We're full-time professionals and, and we, we show a lot of scenarios and we work out, okay, how far is too far and, and where, where do we get to? Um, I remember a couple of years ago we tried to sort of break it down even more and put like a line in the sand and say a team had to travel 10 metres forward ten meter, yeah. um, to gain an advantage and once they travel 10 metres forward. But you throw scenarios out where, you know, they get the ball on an edge and they, they've got 10 metres but they've tippy-toed up the touchline yeah. the whole time and had nowhere else to go. Yeah, so I pick up the ball one metre one metre by one metre near my own corner post yeah. and, yeah, I've run 10 metres but I'm right near touch. Yeah. And, and, I'd rather and, have them scrum. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, the, the the line in the sand thing sort of didn't fit all scenarios, so we sort of went back to, okay, what is advantage? And the thing is, we want teams to play off the back of this. We want to give them as much opportunity to play against unstructured um, defensive lines. So the non-offending team, we want so them to be able to get, get the best they can. So by allow, you know, as much as we can. We don't want to get to a point where a couple of years ago there was a couple of certain um, teams in the NRL who just wouldn't pick up the ball from a knock-on because they'd rather play from a set start from yeah. the scrum. So, you know, we try and open it up so we get some free-flowing footy off the back of them. Um, so that's, that's sort of on a tangent to what advantage can be. In this scenario, we've got foul play in an attacking zone. So the, the team with the football shouldn't be disadvantaged. So if we stop the game while they're attacking and they may have them shot 
on an edge and, you know, they might have a, a four on two and West End they're blowing a penalty because a guy got tackled where two tackles later they run in and score. Because we've, we've had incidents before where we do blow a penalty and teams who receive the penalty are somewhat aggrieved thinking we wanted to keep playing. And, and, and the thing to realise out of this one, this is an uncommon um, sort of bow to the advantage that we take. We generally, when it's foul play, we try and stop it then and there because it stops the angst. Mm. Um, a lot of times when that happens, you'll have players yelling at us, saying, you know, he got tackled yeah. late and, you know, you got or you don't if, want to be on three tackles where players are getting in your face and Or stuff if like the that. player is down, down injured, injured and it's, yes. then it's easier to stop it. Yeah, in, in this case, there. the fact that sort of led to um, the referees being able to sort of give the non-offending time the best opportunity to score a try. And when that didn't happen, we came back. This this practice was used a lot um, when I first started refereeing, um, especially at lower levels of the game where you didn't have communications gear and stuff like that. We, st we still see that at lower levels yeah, of the game so, now. So there might be a, you know, a, a, an incident on tackle too, but as, as a touch judge, you don't have communicate. You can't communicate to the referee that you need the game stop. So you wait until there's a break in play. Break in play is generally a change of possession. And that's when we see the touch judge that's, run on with what, the flag up. Which you don't see anymore. No. Yeah, you know, the old touch judge running on and everyone used to yell out, here he is trying to get some TV time, <laughs> let his family know he's on the touchline. Um, he runs on and he'd give his report and then we'd go back for the penalty. Um, some of the reasons why we, we sort of veered away, from, not but we sort of don't utilise as much as we, we would, would is because field position plays a big part in this. So you might have an incident that happens on the 20 metre line. A team might get down to attacking the goal line and then all of a sudden we're going to go back all the way back 60 or 70 metres to have a penalty. For us at the elite level, what it does is that's a minute and a half to get everyone back where we have no ball in play time yeah. as well. So, um, yeah. It's something we generally try and avoid. If they're coming out of there, if the penalty of, occurs within their own half, it's not saying it will never happen, but as a general rule of thumb, we generally would award the penalty straight away. Well, 90% of the football field, we, we generally award the penalty straight away. It's just those rare occasions where it's in the attacking zone and we've got a, a, sh a shot defensive structure or an unstructured defensive structure where there's an opportunity that if this team continues to play, they, they might score points, where we want to give them every opportunity to do that. Um, so, yeah, we, we try not to disadvantage the team with the ball. Um, and in this case... The referees on field thought that that was probably the best way to go. And then once uh, Canberra lost possession, they went back and awarded the penalty. Yeah, so un somewhat unusual, but not in any way incorrect. No, and, and it's just some, if, you, if you watch a lot of lower-level football, you'd see it uh, a lot more. Quite, you see it quite often. Yeah. Um, so we've got a number of listener questions we thought we'd get through this week. Um, we've got a bit of time to do so today, but... We ran out of time last week when we had Tim Alwani Roby in and there was a question that we had a listener ask us that um, we, we wanted to get around to because it, it uh, had to do with, with Tim. Um, and someone asked us, how does it feel when the NRL bring in a Super League referee and does it take them time to get used to the two referee system? So I guess you and I have both had experiences with this. Um, not the Super League stuff. Not the Super League, no. no. <laughs> um, but when, when a Super League referee has come. So... Tim refereed in the Super League for a couple of years before coming across to Australia, um, but it's not the first time that's happened. So Russell Smith was the first one who, who did that, um, refereed for a number of years in the Super League, uh, Super League Grand Finals, Challenge Cup Grand Finals, multiple test matches, and then came out to Australia to, to have a crack in the NRL. And around that time, there was a young, fresh-faced, fre fresh <laughs> non-bearded little bloke running around called Gavin Badger who was just about to get his start in the NRL. 
So give us a little um, story about that. Oh, yeah, I remember when I remember vividly when Smithy first came across, and yeah, I was sort of on that verge of getting a crack at the NRL, and you know. You know, consolidating a spot in first grade, and then they brought Russell Smith out, who was, you know, an icon of refereeing, yeah. um, not only in, in England, out here as well, yeah. refereeing test matches, well World Cups, mm-hmm. and, you know, and just was a remarkable official who strong, only a little fella, but, um, you know, really strong referee, and, you know, was, was held in high esteem when he came out here. So, um, obviously, as the bloke who was on that fringe, I was probably the one that was going to miss out if, if Smitty was going to come out and referee first grade. So I wanted to hate him. <laughs> I, did, I didn't want to like Russell Smith when he first so, came out. So at that stage, there was, it was only two referees. Uh, it was only one, one referee, one on referee system, sorry. Yeah. So there were eight games, eight a, games a, week. a weekend. And you were, yeah, like you said, on I that verge probably, of... I was eighth or ninth. Eighth, eighth or ninth. Smithy coming out, that knock that definitely knocks you out of contention. It, it definitely meant that, I, yeah, I wasn't going to be in that eight um, for that season. So, yeah. Um, and then I remember the first training session that Smithy come, and Smithy came out for, and it was a pretty hot day in pre-season. And he'd only been here for a day or two, and I think he'd even been on the cans the night before, from, if I'm going to be brutally honest. Um, and we it was a pretty solid running session where we were um, at the warm-up track out at Sydney Olympic Park, and we are just running laps and laps in the heat. And I remember the bottom of my feet were burning because it was so hot, and... And I just kept thinking, this, you know, this bloke's going to stop soon. Because he wasn't a young fellow when he came out either. And, yeah, he got my respect day one from his effort at training and just his, his attitude, just, just the personality. And uh, I found it very hard to dislike him after five minutes. So, and, you know, continued to, to really enjoy Russell Smith's company. He's, he's great to have around. Yeah, so he um, is still around now. So, finished, so um, when he wrapped up his refereeing career in the NRL, um, he then went on to coach our reserve grade, the New South Wales reserve grade squad, into coaching um, in the NRL and has been there for a number of years and, like you say, he's held in such high high esteem within our group and such, such a good guy. But well, um, we can understand why people external... Um, you know, have asked the question of what does that feel like yeah. when you feel like someone's taking your spot. And it'd be the same in footy clubs when play, yeah. when players get signed from other clubs and, you know, the situation like that. We, we we had a situation where we had ex-footballers come in with the Henry Perinaras and Luke Phillips and Reese Williams when they come in. And that's, it would have been similar. I was sort of already established in first grade when they sort of guys come in, but it would have been the same for the guys coming through, seeing those guys sort of get a bit of a head start, you know, but... You look at him now and, you know, Henry's one of the most popular blokes in our squad. Mm. You know, so no one really bears any grudges around that. But it's just a human human trait to sort of have that sort of attitude at first because, you know, everything's about you wanting to be and get your opportunities and then someone comes out of nowhere that you weren't expecting. Mm. You know, you, you, you're sort of battling with people that you come through with and you, and you know, well, I've got a referee better than him might, you know, or her to, to, to get where I need to get. And then all of a sudden you get thrown this curveball yeah. of someone coming from, from from outside. The the marker respect to, to Russell Smith is that our um, rookie of the year mm. at the NRL level is not named now the Russell Smith Medal, uh, Russell Smith Trophy or whatever um, it's called. Um, and I, you know, that was the squad who decided that mm. there's been no one over the past 20 years or you know, whatever who's put as much into developing young referees to come into first grade. And that's no disrespect to people that do a lot of work at, at grassroots and lower levels of the mm-hmm. game. But when you look at, you know, the, the batch of guys that are refereeing first grade now, there's, uh, there'd be no one in there. That even even the Tim Roby who come across from England has some, you know, great, uh, well, owes some of his career to, to Russell Smith and his coaching and influence. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when Tim did come across, that was at the same time that um, he then 
was battling out with people at, at my level refereeing yeah. under 20s at that stage. Um, so it was a similar sort of thing. This bloke came out, we're like, oh, who's this guy? But then exactly what you've said about Russell Smith um, with, with Tim Ro- Tim Awani Roby, it's just so hard to, to not like the guy. Yeah. And you've got to respect a guy like that who came across with no guarantees. See, Russell Smith was very different, like you spoke about. He'd refereed multiple test matches, grand finals, everything, and he was held yeah. in such high regard in the refereeing um, community. Whereas Tim was still a young bloke refereeing Super League. It's not like it, he had yeah. that name over here. He, um, was, he was quite young and he was ref, he was refereeing at the Super League level when he came across as well. So yeah. he'd given up a fair so, whack yeah. to sort of so he gives, start at the bottom. Yeah, so he gives up that to come across here and be guaranteed nothing and have to go into under-20s and prove his worth um, and get his way through to the NRL under a completely different system because when Tim came across, he then had to learn the two-referee system. Yeah. It was very similar um, to Ashley Klein as well. So Ash, for most who know, Ash started out as a young referee in Parramatta District and refereed, I, I was um, in the junior rep system, Ash when sort of I was at the back end of my junior reps getting into grade, Ash was starting his junior rep progression and got married, married uh, an English woman and, but you know, at a point in their lives that she wanted to go back to England, they went back there and he got in the systems of refereeing over there and was same, you know, similar to Russell Smith when he came out here, he'd refereed everything. Yep. At Super League Grand Finals, Challenge Cup Grand Finals, World Cup Finals, yep. you know, you name it, he'd done it. Um, but then wanted to come back out here and, and see if he had the ability here. He, he, he didn't come out with no guarantees, but he came out the year that we started two refs. So he had to go from, you know, a system where he was the, the you know, top of the game and, you know, knew exactly what he needed to do week in, week out to, to do that, come in and completely change everything he'd done because, you know, two ref system was coming in and we didn't know what we were doing, let alone someone who hadn't even been around it in trials and stuff like that. So he, he sort of was thrown in, in, in pretty quickly and... Um, the quality and character of what he does made him progress pretty quickly. But it would have been the same. It would have been pretty difficult for Ash. His story is a bit different because he knew a lot of us already yeah. as well, where Tim and Smithy, or Smithy would have known a couple of the guys, but Tim really came in cold. Yeah, massive respect to him for doing that. Um, next question we're going to answer is, why do some teams or defenders seem to take longer to get up off the ruck, off the tackled player, while others get penalised? And I guess this is probably one of the... Um, biggest questions we we sort of get or the boos and feedback we get at the ground um, during games has to do with this of how long defenders seem to take and there's a lot of things that go into um, us deciding which tackle is deemed uh, okay appropriate sweet to play on from compared to which ones we decide to penalize Um, and a lot of times that can't be uh, identified or judged by people watching at the game or watching at home. And it could be if they were educated around it. Yeah, yeah, pot- yeah, potentially. Which is where I want to sort of head with this. Yeah. Sorry to jump in, but um, we base all of our, you know, what we do around the national methodologies, which is the coaching methodologies, which we've spoken about before on here, around how we expect, you know, referees in the park to referee. It's exactly the same as how we do. So a lot of what we say and how we do it is similar. So... Um, it's understandable to everyone across the game. I would love for some of that stuff to be put out there to media 
to put out to public so they can see some of, especially around tackle ID um, and how we deem each tackle and the timing we give for each tackle. I think if we could educate people on why we do it and how we do it, I think it would make a big difference to the way they watch a game of rugby league because I know it does for me yeah, and, and, and it's easy for me to say that because I'm a referee and I'm invested in refereeing, but watching games now, I know what's going to happen before it's going to happen when it comes to timing of tackles yeah. because I understand it. Yeah. So It's like as if we're watching a game, as we're saying the word penalty... It's coming. The whistle, the whistle because, blows. Because we have an understanding. And, you know, you, you could probably explain it a little bit better than, than myself around what we look at and how we look at and the different types of, of tackle that we sort of judge on, which, you know, exactly what you say. You, you, I know on field and you're standing in the pocket and, you know, the referee will call a particular thing and then the crowd start booing and then the players start... and you Getting angst. Getting angst that, and yeah. you say, no, no, it was this well, type of tackle and then they go, oh, OK. Yeah, well, it was actually something that frustrated me watching a television show last week it might have been not I think it was last week sometime um and they were showing um a couple of tackles where they were like oh well why wasn't this a penalty or why wasn't this a penalty and I'm watching it going well you're not showing the referee's audio of what they've identified that tackle as where some of those tackles we allow more time and some we don't um so for the and I mean this in, with no disrespect, but to the uneducated fan, in yeah. terms of uneducated, in terms of what we what do, we do. Yeah. Um, they're not going to be able to see that. They're just going to see a tackle and go, oh, well, that looks like that that, that well, player is... That, why is that much slower than the, the one we just got penalised? Yeah, for? yeah. So they show that penalty and go, well, why is that not a penalty? But the next one looked like it was quicker, but it was a penalty. Yeah. And the difference in those ones was that, one, a player surrenders or drops their legs down, and so we allow more time versus... The other one initially was a strong tackle, like a, a strong tackle from one defender where we normally would go give them a touch more time, but then two more defenders sort of half flopped in where we'd go, well, we're going to wear that because it was initially a strong tackle, but we'd want those two players who flopped in, like only t- a touch late, would want them to get up really quickly so that the timing of that tackle would still be what it naturally would have been had that one defender only stayed in the tackle. So you probably want to... But, expo- but, oh, but they had stayed in, which led to the penalty. Yeah. yeah. Even though that, when you just look at those, the timing, if you just looked at raw speed, the two tackles would have taken the same amount of time, but one's penalised well, and one's and not. that's what I was going to get to. There are some tackles where it could be three seconds and we penalise, some tackles where it could be five seconds and we don't. And we don't. Because of different... You probably need to explain yeah, so the three tackle that. types that, that we sort of... The three main tackle types that well, we look a, at and few, we adjudicate on. Yeah, there's a few tackle types that we look at. So <coughs> the first one is called a neutral tackle. So that's just our stock standard... 300 times a game. Yep. Out of the 340 Pl- play the ball. Yep. Plenty of times, we don't say that the ball carriers won the ruck. We don't say that the defenders won the ruck. It's just a normal tackle, and that's a normal speed of a, of a play the ball. And a question we always get is, how, how long How long do you let them? Is it three seconds? And players go, oh, we get three seconds. There's no amount of specific time. The rough times are somewhere in that three... Three, two and a half, three and a half. No, about three to three and a half seconds, but it's not like we call it and then in our heads we're going one, <laughs> one two, Mississippi, two three, Mississippi. Yeah. Are you counting Mississippi? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's not like we do we do that. We have a skill set that we look and go, okay, well, is that slow? Is it not? We get that we look feel. at what the defenders doing, what the attackers doing. That's what I was just going to say as well. We look at okay, was it a neutral tackle? But did a player then regrip, move to another position, put their hand? from the, sh- the player's shoulder onto their hand or onto their leg, make a second movement. As soon as they make a second movement, well, we want them to get straight. Yeah, 
We've all, we give them less leeway because they should have never made a second movement. And then you're also looking at what the what the attacker's doing because if the attacker then happens to grab hold at any stage in that tackle, yeah. then it's less likely that there's going to be a penalty go yeah. the other way. We hear us call that milking. And just because he grabs and then lets go doesn't automatically mean that that player then has to get off because you've now changed his position yeah. and he's now in a poorer position to get out. So he's going to be a bit slower. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... Um, so there's yeah, they're two of the factors in the, in the neutral tackle. Yep. Okay, so the next tackle that we look at is a surrender tackle. And this is the one that um, if, you, if, if you are listening on TV, you may hear us call out occasionally because you hear the referee yell out surrender. So that's when the ball carrier, um, I guess, doesn't compete at the line. I think everyone sort of knows what a surrender tackle is. Majority of the time we see it is when a player dives out of their... Um, their in goal, we see that quite a lot, just yeah, sort of drops to, drops to their legs. But we see it a lot as well with forwards just running up and they just drop down because they want to find their front and they want to try and get a quick play the ball. Getting a so, bit technical on that. We see a lot on tackles three and four when, you know, the, the, your, your edge back rows are laying that line towards the post. So they try and sort of drop down and get a quick play the ball so they they can play a bit of footy off the back of it. Yeah, so that, we, that the defence is on the retreat and you can play attacking football, like yeah. you say, on the back with the defence on the back foot. Um so effectively what they're doing is not competing at the line, so we don't allow them to have a quick play the ball. So we'll yell out, surrender, we'll have a little gap, and then we'll say, stand up. So the fact that we've allowed that gap is we're allowing the defenders more time to get up off that tackled player. What they're also allowed to do is they're allowed to regroup, they're like bear hug, they're allowed to spin on the player, they're allowed to put their hand on the ball or hand t- to the arm. Okay, or work that player over. So if that they, player's on their front... They can do a lot, but they can't break down the play. Yeah, they can't... Yeah, so I can't go to put my hand on the ball or, or the ball go out. to a bear hug and knock the ball out, or I can't work that player over and work them into touch or into the in goal yeah. because I've now changed the game, but I can have that ruck You can slower. take more time. You will... Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say you will never see a penalty um, because you never say never, yeah. but you will very rarely see a penalty against the defence on a surrender tackle yeah. unless play breaks down. And they're the ones we get booed for at the ground more than any is when we... Because they take forever. Is because, yeah, to They're the crowd... four it look, or five seconds. Yeah, to the crowd it looks like that is so slow, but the reason it's slow is because we've identified it. And the players on the field hear us do it as well because first the, the, the control well, the referee call, calls out surrender, then that call is then backed up by the by the referee in the pocket who also says surrender and they're standing right on top of the ruck. So the attackers and defenders, they know that we've all, it. all of this stuff that we go through, we go to clubs within the preseason. Yes, and this know. is what all our scrimmage is about. And at the end of every scrimmage, we talk to them about what we're looking for, how we're looking, you know, all, all of this stuff we virtually, you know, we, we yeah. give to the clubs. Yeah, so they're, they're they all process. know. The clubs know. Like, so the players on field generally know. Yeah. Obviously there's some that, that are coming up from lower grades that might not have been around for a while that, but it's still it's it's at every level of the yeah. game. So um, the next one is when what we call when a player loses their legs, um, and this is when a player doesn't necessarily surrender at the line, but it could be when they've slipped over, it could be when they sort of initially compete at the line, but then they sort of drop drop down. So it's not. Um, it's not as obvious as a surrender tackle, but we delay our vocab just slightly. So when they drop, dive on the football as well, yeah, you know, loose ball, yeah, loose ball on the ground, they we, dive we, on it. Yeah, it's where you sort of don't. Yeah, you, you haven't as an attacking team, you haven't won that ruck. Yes, so you don't deserve a quick play, a quick ball. play the ball. And the defence, you haven't had the chance to win it. Yes. So, yeah, so we you get a little bit more time. So, so we don't. We class that as a defence winning the ruck. Sorry. So we don't let the defender, like the surrender tackle, we don't let them bear hug, spin, work the player over. They don't get that much. But we'll hold off a split second. So instead of calling 
held or stand up or move or whatever we're going to call, um, we'll just split second, move. Yeah, there's a delay so there's before a slight our delay. first vocab to the ruck. Yeah. But when we give that first vocab to the ruck, that's when the player has to get up. Yes. And that's when sometimes defenders, when they do get penalised, they come to us and they go, oh, well, they surrendered or they did this or they did that. You know, well, you still Your obligation as the defender is to react to our vocab. Yep. And once we've vocab that ruck, we've already allowed the time for the fact that that player slipped or dropped down or whatever. Now that we've spoken to the ruck, you need now to get up. That's your responsibility. Yep. All right. The next one is when the um, defending team wins wins the tackle, wins the, that ruck. So it's what we call a strong tackle. It's what the old dominant tackle used to be when people might remember when we used to yell out dominant. We don't yell that out anymore, but when the defender cha- effectively changes the momentum of the ball carrier, so it doesn't necessarily have to be backwards, that's when we generally see it. Let's take... George, George Tafua, <laughs> every tackle George Tafua makes. It's going to be a strong tackle. Um, it's yeah. But I've seen some from George where he comes from the side, side and yeah. he takes the guy sideways. It's changing the initial momentum of the of the attacker. Yep. that's the strong tackle. Yep. So that's where, again, we'll delay our vocab um, and not tell the player to stand up until you know a second later or something. Again, it's not like we're counting it in our head, but to ourselves we sort of say strong, and by the time we've said that to ourselves. There's, that, your, that, there's, there's your timing. Your, there's your timing gone, and then you say, stand up. We're just rewarding the defender for his good contact. Yep, exactly right. Then, So that's when the defence wins the ruck. Now, when the ball carrier wins the ruck, that's what we call when the ball carrier earns the right or they earn the right. So that's when the ball carrier makes a break, gets their nose through the line. A- anytime they push back the defence, yeah. sort of a look. Anytime they get through that, you know, get through that line. Well, they've won it. So they've gotten through that defensive line. You know, so it's not the neutral one where they just make a tackle. They've, they've beaten them a touch. Yep. They've earned the right for to a have quick, a, So they've earned the right for quicker. a quick play of the ball. You generally see it off the long breaks. You see it, um, you know, it, yeah, where, where play players get their nose through and, and, and little offloads and stuff like that. Yep. Legs tackles. So when the player earns the right, our first vocab to the ruck will be much quicker. So our vocab where we say move or stand up or whatever we, we say will be nearly almost as soon as they... As soon as the tackle is complete. Yeah. Virtually. So as soon as they... Sort of hit the ground a lot, yeah. That we won't want to call complete. it too early, yeah, <laughs> because we can we can get in some get trouble there. Yeah. But yeah, it's much it's much much quicker. So w- with that, then you think, okay, well, why are some rucks penalised, and or why are some defenders? Why does that look slower, and it's pen- not penalised, but that one there is? Well, one of the tackles might have been when a player earned the right. So the referee's vocab, we we expect them to be up quicker, and they weren't, so they were penalised. Whereas the next one you're looking at might have been a strong tackle yep. where we don't expect them to be up as yep. um, as might, quickly. Yeah, so we don't penalise it. But if five. you just look at the pure speed of tackle one and tackle two, you go, well, that one there was faster than that, yet it was penalised. And they're the nuances of what we do as referees, which aren't widely known. And unless you are judging every ruck speed as a viewer watching the game, then you're not going to sort of know uh, which ruck is... Apart from the yeah. real obvious standout ones, yep. you're not going to know which one is a penalty versus which one isn't. Yeah. And, and there are other things we take into account as well. So they're the main things we take into account. But when you talk about game sense, yeah. well, well, game you, sense comes into it as well. You, you look at any tackle that's really close to the try line. They're always going to be slower because you've got a lot of bodies tangled in and you don't have guys getting out to have to rush back to get to a defensive line. So they're virtually getting up and standing. So naturally the game allows it to be a touch slower there. 
because if we've got bodies tangled. So they're ones that that can have an impact there, you know what I mean? Closer to sidelines, you know, players off breaks who sort of drop and sort of surrender but don't. Mm. You know, we, 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 we still want to reward their break, but we don't want to reward them dropping. So, you know... We, we, we mix up our timing there. But what is we, we talk a lot about it's our game understanding. I think our biggest skill set as referees at the elite level is is this stuff, the game understanding and the tackle ID. Um, that's what sets us apart, I think, and that's what makes people first-grade officials and, you know, the guys that sort of fall behind and don't yep. get there. So things like um, we look at they might have had a team might be attacking the goal line and the defensive team is – and it's only on tackle two – and the defensive team is shot and you can see that there's going to be a massive overlap out there. Well, like what we spoke about before with the advantage thing in the Cronulla, the Cronulla Canberra game where we said sometimes teams get annoyed when we blow the penalty like, and they, they're the ones receiving it. Similar here where we've got to know, well, geez, you know what, it's actually probably a better option for me to play on because they've got them on the back foot. Whereas if I award the penalty, now the defending team are going to have a structured start. But we've also got to have that game sense to go, well, is that team down by two points? Exactly right. So they Score might actually yeah. yeah, they might actually want the they penalty because then they can kick for goal. So these are all things that referees at the elite level need to weigh up in fractions of a of a second in deciding when to penalise a ruck and when not to. And like you said, they're the skill sets that set people apart at the elite level. Yeah, like I said, I'd I'd love for more people to be educated around it and get to see some of the, the stuff that we've well, got out yeah, there. I'd love to show some of that vision. Like I spoke about like that T V show the other week. I would love to put that referees' comms on and show those two tackles and go, well, here, this is why. This is why this one was penalised and that one wasn't. And show a range of these tackles and go, well, these are the things that every over 300 play the balls a game, the referees are weighing up and going, well, this this is why this is play on and this is why this one's a penalty. Because, like I said, it's so nuanced. Yeah, nuanced, nice. Good word. Yeah, I like it. Thanks. (laughs) So, what are you up to this weekend? Well, it wouldn't be... Fair if I didn't finish uh, the proper season on an away trip. Yes, <laughs> I've had that many this week and this um, year. Oh, this year, sorry. Racking uh, up the frequent flyer points. Very much so. Good for a holiday at the end of the year. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm off to um, Gold Coast, the Titans versus Dragons game on Saturday night. So um, get to go up there. I think we're going up Friday. We're doing a few things. I actually want to speak quickly about this weekend. You'll see um, see our guys wearing purple socks. Um, it's something that we do every year around, we support Bravehearts, which is an organisation that looks after um, child protection and kids at risk um, of child abuse. And it's something that um, as a squad we've, we've supported for 15 years. And um, on Friday, I get to do a little bit of stuff with Bravehearts up there as well before the game. So I'm going up there and, and um, going to get involved. Uh, with, with the Bravehearts organisation. That's fantastic. So people seeing us wear purple socks, that's what it's got to do with. So jump online and have a look at what um, what Bravehearts do because they're a fantastic organisation. Um, it's great that you can get involved with, with that. Yeah, it, it, it worked out really well this weekend that I, I could go up there for that. And um, you'll be supporting one of our referees who makes a... Um, a debut of sorts this weekend as well? Yeah, so um, I'm not going to pronounce um, the name, but um, Ziggy makes his debut as a, as a head ref this weekend, which is, you know, to some people might not sort of understand the, the ramifications of that. But the significance so, of it. So, yeah, it, it's, it's a pretty big um, step up to going from running around in the pocket to now controlling the game and controlling your team. And you know, with that role comes, um, a, you know, a lot more pressure. So, 
um, he goes out there to do it this weekend and I'm running around behind there supporting him, um, <laughs> making sure I'm pointing him in the right direction. <laughs> um, and like you said as well, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be the se- end of season unless we both went away to Different separate areas. ends of the country. <laughs> um, so I'm heading down to, to Melbourne this weekend on the touchline down there, Melbourne and, and the Cowboys, which um, I always enjoy getting down there. Great down there in Melbourne. Melbourne. Yep. Um, so with that, I'd like to encourage everyone to join our Facebook and Instagram pages. Our Facebook page is NRL Officiating and Instagram handle is at NRL Officiating. So give us a follow to keep up to date with what's happening in the world of rugby league officials across the country from under sixes through to the NRL. Uh, if you do have a question you would like us to answer on the podcast, hit us up on our Twitter feeds, mine or Gavin's Twitter feeds, and we'd be more than happy to answer it. And if you are interested in becoming a referee, please visit refrugbyleague.com. Thanks for listening to this week's Refs Roundup. Bye.